Stanford football head coach David Shaw speaks, we listen. You will too. David Shaw is our guest on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Monday, April 13th, 2020. Hope your week is off to a terrific start, and uh, hopefully the TreeCast can make it even better for you. I'm Troy Clarity. Hello. How are you? Hope your Easter was great, and hope that you've got uh, great things uh, planned and good things in store for you coming up this week. We do here on the TreeCast, our special guest, David Shaw, the head coach of Stanford football. Enough said, but obviously there's so much more to be talked about um, with him. No doubt this is the most intriguing time period for him to be a head coach of a Power 5 football program in this day and age. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on how his life has been over the past month or so. His initial read on how things could go once the Cardinal get back onto the field, whenever that is, and and some other things. You know, this is you know, there's a chance for us to kind of you know broaden the scope here a little bit, talk about some things with uh, with Coach Shaw that uh, we would normally talk about in a uh, press conference or a post practice setting. So really looking forward to getting more in depth with David Shaw than perhaps than I've had a chance to, maybe outside of Pac-12 football media days, uh, but but maybe even more in-depth than you've had a chance to hear. So looking forward to uh, being joined by Stanford football head coach David Shaw on the TreeCast coming up in just a few minutes. A couple of ground rules that we normally remind everyone of before we dive into the meat of the show. Number one, I'm Troy Clarity, 27 years following Stanford sports and Stanford football in particular, Pac-12 Network play-by-play announcer, five years uh, with that organization under my belt. Always an honor and a pleasure to be able to do this. And it's uh, the fourth year of TreeCasts here on, uh, uh, on for Stanford football. So uh, honor the pleasure to, to bring you those, to continue to bring you those. Hit me up on Twitter. First, give me the follow at Troy Clarity, at Troy Clarity, last misspelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. You, you've got thoughts on the show. I always welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. That is the best way to react to the show or at least react to it and have me see it. You want to advertise on the program? Cool. I'm with it. So are the folks of the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Uh, hit up the advertising section and uh, they will hook you up. Tell them, hey. I want to be a part of the TreeCast. And they will uh, make sure that uh, you are hooked up as much as you can possibly be. It is time for us to hook you up with the three things you need to know right now concerning Stanford athletics and Stanford football. But we're going to talk a little hoops as we begin three things with number one of the big fish in men's basketball recruiting this year for college basketball. Zaire Williams, six foot seven, small forward out of Chatsworth, California, down uh, down south, and he was hotly contested. The number five overall recruit nationwide, number one small forward according to twenty four seven Sports, and on Sunday made the video, sat down, announced his choice, his commitment to a college, unzipped his jacket, had the Stanford T-shirt underneath, and the celebration began. Zaire Williams has committed to becoming a Stanford Cardinal. And I could I could hear the celebrations 
well, not from the Stanford Men's Basketball offices at Ariaga Family Sports Center because that building's probably on lockdown and totally closed, but I could probably hear the celebrations from uh, the homes of the respective members of the Stanford coaching staff from my house, I'm sure, uh, over here in the East Bay. Williams choosing Stanford over Arizona, North Carolina, UCLA, and USC, and he is the highest-rated recruit to commit to the Stanford Cardinal program since Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez. You remember what those two were able to do when they were wearing Stanford uniforms and to take to take Stanford men's basketball to places that, that it hasn't quite been to since those two were, were on the farm. So exciting stuff uh, for Stanford uh, men's basketball, exciting stuff ahead for, for Williams. My favorite part of uh, Williams' video, by the way, was uh, after he announced his choice, and his parents joined him uh, on, on the couch that uh, Williams was uh, uh, was sitting on. And uh, I'm assuming it's, it's Zaire's dad. Uh, Pops broke out the cigar. <laughs> I like that. Well done. Well done. Congratulations uh, to all involved and looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Let's get to number two. Football alumni update. This has kind of become a staple of three things on the TreeCast over the last couple of weeks or so. We told you about the latest doings of Zach Hoffpower, uh, Stanford football and baseball alum, who is now part of the uh, Northern Colorado coaching staff. Their head coach, by the way, is Ed McCaffrey. I didn't realize that it happened. He just signed on to that post in December. But uh, we uh, take a look at Aziz Shatu on our football alumni update uh, for this week. Uh, Shatu joining Colorado, the Buffaloes, as a graduate assistant uh, focusing on the defensive line. Makes a lot of sense. Shatu, terrific on the defensive line for Stanford really helped hold things down during the 2015 season when Stanford was just threadbare at that position. But Chatu, magnificent, and the Rose Bowl defensive MVP. He played his took-us off that afternoon and early evening in Pasadena. Man, he just tormented the Iowa Hawkeyes all day long. And I remember interviewing him on the field um, after that game was done. So it was, uh, it was really great to see. Good good news for, for, a, great, for a good young man. And uh, after uh, his uh, career was done, uh, Chatu went to the Philadelphia Eagles, spent three years in the NFL. So now it's good to see him on the coaching ranks, in the coaching ranks, I should say, with the Colorado Buffaloes. Congrats to Aziz Chatu. Let's get to number three. <laughs> of course, the big question in, in college sports is when will football come back? A lot of folks are, answer, are asking that question, and there are a lot of opinions Lots of opinions, but no answers. No answers for obvious reasons. Now, ESPN's Chris Fowler, one of the voices of college football, one of the more respected guys in college football, obviously, is, is ESPN's lead analyst, or lead announcer, I should say, lead play-by-play guy uh, for college football. Uh, Fowler, on his Instagram account on Sunday, noted that there is a scenario out there that has the college football season starting in February and going into May or June. And that scenario seems to be gaining a bit of momentum among the decision makers. Now, Fowler went out of his way to note this is just informed speculation. And speculate is all we can do here with, with, with the total absence of, 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 of the true answers that, that we pretty much really likely need in order to get the answer to the question, when will football come back? When will soccer and the other fall sports come back as well? 
Obviously, ultimately, the major decisions rest with public health officials and state and local governments, and not football coaches. You hear that, Mike Gundy? Mike, Mike Gundy went to my high school. I went to high school with A.J. Hinch. Not a very good year for former Midwest City Bombers, is it? <laughs> but lots of contingency plans, obviously, out there. You've heard some that Major League Baseball was kicking around. That uh, took a lot of the uh, sports uh, conversation last week. Uh, a lot of contingency plans out there. This apparently is one of them. And um, look, as the days goes on, as the days go on, I'm, I'm more hopeful that everything begins on time, but I'm also more skeptical that that things begin on time as well, if that's possible. <laughs> equal parts hopeful and equal parts skeptical, and uh, both of those both of those feelings are are are, are ticking upward um, by the day, by the day. So we still don't know when football will come back. But it will be back. Can't wait. Can't wait. Those are three things. Well, this past Saturday was supposed to be the Stanford football Cardinal and White Spring football game. Always held at, uh, or at least the last few years anyway, held at Laird Q. Kagan Stadium. Always neat to get a little preview of what could possibly be to come in the season ahead uh, for Stanford football. Obviously, that did not happen. Did not get that chance last Saturday, but there are still plenty of things to discuss around Stanford football, and there is no one better to do that with than our special guest on this episode of the TreeCast. He is the head coach, the all-time winningest coach in Stanford football history, David Shaw, our guest on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Coach, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're in a bit of a routine uh, now, which is, it took a while to get here, but, but we're doing well. Yeah. Overall, what has life been like for you? What has work been like for you uh, since, since the season shut down and since we, we came into the situation where we are now? Uh, as I said, it took, took a little time to get used to, um, you know, to be home. And typically football coaches were in the office. Like we're always in the office, in season, out of season. So to be home, uh, and to be, and that's been positive, you know, to be with my family, to be with our kids and, and then get used to them being home, uh, and doing school. So, you know, we're like school administrators. Hey, get back to class. You know, uh, do you finish your homework? You know, Hey, aren't, don't you have a zoom with one of your, one of your teachers soon? So we've been doing a lot of that. And then between that, um, also meeting with my staff, uh, staff meeting with the players, um, online. Um, getting our guys ready for whatever the season may be, trying to make sure that, hey, you know, uh, you have workouts. Now, they're not mandatory workouts. We don't want to put anybody in a dangerous situation, but here's what we suggest that you do. Communicate with us if there are issues. So uh, it's forced us to communicate more verbally and more specifically. Um, a lot of times you can demonstrate, but you can't now. You have to talk through a lot of things. So uh, it's been interesting, but at the same time, um, anything that happens to you, you gotta you gotta improve. You gotta find better ways to do things. So I think we've actually gotten better during this time. Yeah, I, I've always been fascinated by how coaches, you know, try to maximize the knowns and try to minimize and try to steer away from the unknowns for obvious reasons. Uh, obviously, this is probably you're probably dealing with some of the biggest unknowns that you've ever dealt with here uh, as a coach. How have you kind of walked that balance between? controlling what you can control and one of the great coaching uh, coaching cliches of all time while, while still trying to negotiate the fact that there are just so many unknowns out there right now. Well, it, you know I me, mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Like that was the hardest part for me. Um, I love structure. 
Uh, I love dependability. Um, I love consistency. Um, I love when I can button things down and give our guys a structure with when they, within which they can operate. And we didn't have a structure. We didn't have anything for a while. And uh, that was hard for me. Um, so now, after this time, um, I'm on a couple of different committees, NCAA, conference committees, et cetera. So now we kind of have some parameters around, okay, what if we get back this summer? This, this might what be it looks like. If things get pushed back, this, this might be what it looks like. Um, for our guys working out now, we've got a great plan uh, with our strength and conditioning staff. Um, with Coach Cullen, uh, Carol, trying to get guys, okay, you know what? We don't know when this thing's going to open back up, but here's our plan now for what you can do at home. These are workouts you can do without weights. These are workouts you can do by yourself. Um, so now we have a, a good body conditioning for our guys for this time period. So I'm a little bit more at ease because I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, um, put a lot of parameters around what we can and can't do. And now at least we have a plan. If that plan changes, okay, great. Now we're ready for those changes. Um, but at least for the time being now, however long this lasts, we've got a good plan to get our guys ready, to get our coaches ready for whenever we open back up. You know, so many different facets go into this and so many different areas of, of running a program. You talk about strength and conditioning, which is obviously going to be key uh, for a lot of the younger guys who finally get a chance to get some college football bodies uh, to go along with the, the experience they got last year. But there's also recruiting as, as well. How has that been going of late? Uh, it's been great. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Zoom meetings with recruits. Um, we've talked a lot about, man, you know, this is, we are, we've always had to try to get guys to campus, right? It's coming to campus. Uh, you know, a lot of times in the first hour or so, um, guys come around campus and say, wow, this is amazing. All these people that I've met just in a short period of time, I love this place. So we can't do this. We've been able to find ways to give guys a taste of Stanford through, through the Zoom, which I think will serve us well in the future. Um, just because for those, for those few guys that just can't make it across the country, now I think we're developing a way to say, hey, you know, we're going to give you the best taste of Stanford that we can. Uh, and, and we've had a lot of positive responses. Um, the other thing on that, which is really interesting, uh, I was sitting one day and thinking about, man, we, we can't get these guys to campus. We can't, we can't get them to spring practice so they can watch us practice. We can't, do, uh, can't get them to campus. And, and it finally hit me. I'm like, you know what? This is without taking advantage of the situation, just thinking about it. Um, this is a perfect example of why you come to Stanford. Because um, if you can't, right, if you can't go into the building, right, it doesn't matter how beautiful your building is. Um, if you can't, you know, if football gets pushed back or augmented in some way, it doesn't matter what your stadium looks like. Um, for right now, if, we, if, we don't, if we're not playing football and you're not in the building, all you have right now is your education. Um, and so for right now, with, with football being up in flux, um, it mirrors later in life when you don't have football. And if you're a Stanford alum, you look back and say, man, I played great football, a great time. But at the same time, I have something with me that's tangible. So for all those guys all over the country that chose a school uh, for a different reason other than the school, right now, some of those guys are looking around saying, wow, I'm, I'm doing online class at a university that I don't really enjoy, I came here to play football. I'm not playing football. What am I getting out of this? But at least the Stanford guys, they know, even in this difficult situation, they're still getting their Stanford education, and it's still, it's still going to be special for them now and down the road. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what Zaire Williams was thinking when he uh, made his commitment on Sunday uh, to Stanford men's basketball. How about that? That's pretty good stuff, eh? Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I know the basketball program is really exciting right now. Yeah, yeah. That should be a lot of fun to watch and see how he uh, develops uh, once he actually gets uh, on the farm. Um, with some distance, with, with a few months of, of hindsight, 
what are some of your final assessments of the 2019 season? That's a great question. And I've had time to mold that, right? Because, you know, you love for transition from that into spring. We got a taste of spring. Um, but really still thinking about those things that we wish we would have done, didn't do, but look at those things that we did do. And I'm always a positive person. I'm always going to take the positive things out of them, out of whatever our situation is. Um, the injuries were well documented. We don't dwell on those. It's just, they just happened. You know, last two years have been really tough. Um, but you look at what we had development-wise in the offensive line. Did they play perfectly? No, but we had three true freshmen play a lot of football, and some of it was at a high level. And that bodes well for the future. Um, the last two classes we've signed, uh, 10 offensive linemen, and we're excited about those guys. And we all know the better we are up front, the better we are every place else. And uh, our, our future looks really, really bright there. Um, I think Davis Mills showed a lot of poise, showed some athleticism, showed some ridiculous pinpoint passing. Um, so hopefully for the next year or two, uh, you know, we'll be able to see him continue to flourish and he's grown as a leader already. Um, the guy is extremely talented and now pushing himself to be at that high level. And early in the season too, he wasn't 100% healthy even when he played early on and they missed that time. And even when he came back, he was doing pretty well. But at the end of the season, you see those, those runs he made against Notre Dame and Cal, his athleticism was so exciting. And all of our receivers coming back uh, was exciting. Um, I think a lot of things on defense, we had, you know, significant injuries on the defensive side, but coming through the first part of spring um, to see the speed and athleticism we have at linebacker, both inside and outside. Um, it's impressive. It's exciting. Um, Thomas Booker, I mean, he's, he's taken a huge step both at the end of the year and now through this training camp, the guy's close to 300 pounds and still with the same speed and athleticism. Um, Dalen Wade Perry's made a huge jump um, as, a, as a big physical athletic offense, uh, defensive lineman for us. And now our secondary um, with Paulson coming back, uh, we may have uh, the best, if not one of the best corner tandems in America between he and Caillou and three young long corners that are exciting to have out there as well. So, you know, you look at what, what was so difficult for us, but then finding those guys that had a chance to get out there and play, and including a Caillou Kelly, um, and learn a lot of lessons that now come through an offseason, which, yes, got truncated, but, you know, the beginnings of spring after going through winter, um, for all the difficulties we had in, in the 2019 season, I think we'll be able to use those difficulties as fuel and motivation, but also as experience. Uh, for the 2020 season, whenever it begins. Yeah, a, a lot to look forward to. Uh, a, a lot of question marks defensively, but a lot of opportunities, I, I think, as well. And and certainly offensively, I think personnel-wise, this this has a chance to uh, to put up a lot of points. This squad has a chance to put up a lot of points uh, whenever they step on the field. Of course, a lot's going to be placed on Davis Mills. He's running the show now. Uh, what changes in the quarterback room now that Mills is QB1? What What stays the same? You know, I think our mentality uh, stays the same, which we want to gear things towards what our quarterback does well. Um, I think we did that with KJ when KJ was healthy. I think we saw what he was capable of. And, and the poor guy was only healthy for one game last year, including early in the season where he wasn't always 100%. But, gosh, what he did against Arizona, you got to see a chance to see his his ceiling there, utilizing the tight ends and the receivers, and it was was fun to watch. But I think you also got to see that from Davis. Um, 
you know, just from his first start, uh, taking us to a 17-7 lead uh, on the road against US, USC, taking us to a lead against Cal, taking us to a lead against Notre Dame, and we weren't able to sustain those leads as a team. But you saw those capabilities, saw those, those – the, his legs are that X factor. Um, him being able to run and throw on the run, um, the touchdown pass he threw in the back corner of the end zone at, at Oregon State where he made the defender miss and kind of did a little sidearm sally to the back of the end zone of Bryson Tremaine. Um, those are the kind of plays this guy's capable of. And when you, you take his top plays from the year when he was healthy, um, you can put him up against anybody in America. And um, that's what I know his, his ceiling is. He knows it. We know it. Um, and now if we can get that for an entire year, um, he's got a chance to be special. So we have a chance to be special. Yeah, Tanner McKee back from his mission uh, from Brazil that uh, he finally just uh, got back uh, a couple of weeks ago. Looking forward to seeing what contributions he might be able to uh, make in the QB room, I'm sure, uh, at least for the upcoming year and perhaps uh, going forward uh, down the road. Um, let's, let's kind of shift away from the team just a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, you've been on a couple of committees, uh, been able to serve on some committees of, of late. One of them is the competition committee. Uh, you you are the czar of, of 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 college football competition. You run the whole entire sport from a competition standpoint. A hypothetical hypothetical situation here. Uh, you can wave a magic wand, change anything, improve anything uh, from a competitive standpoint in college football, competition wise, rules wise, whatever. What would that be? <sighs> Podcast isn't long enough. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, we get time. <laughs> <laughs> you know th- there are there are things I would change in recruiting. Um, the football recruiting is not as upside down as the basketball recruiting, but a lot of things that happen in football recruiting that I would change um, to make it more of a above board uh, process. Um, I think our process is outstanding. I think our process of including academics um, in our process is, is huge. Um, but there, there are a lot of things that are, that are going on that, you know, that, that just happen. Um, as far as the rules go, I think we're in a good spot. You know, I'm, a, I'm the head of the rules committee. I think we're in a good spot with how we're dealing with helmet-to-helmet contact. We've made it uh, – we've been able to raise the level of, of officiating to the point where – we're only kicking young men out of games if it's 100% a helmet-to-helmet contact, if it is, if it is targeting. Um, so we've, at the same time, reduced the number of targeting penalties because we're getting it right. And then we've also re- reduced the number of penalties total. And also, as far as we know, the trends look like they're going the right way as far as the, the number of concussions, the number of injuries – because um, that's what really drives most of our rules nowadays is, is player safety. So we've had some great discussions with our medical people, um, with our sports science people, uh, with our statistics um, gathering uh, entities. So I think we're on the right path there, but I think we'll continue to push in that direction. Um, one of the things that got some publicity is the, the feigning injuries uh, thing that's, that's cropped up uh, in, in college football. So uh, we as a rules committee are, are kind of putting some pressure on uh, the commissioners and the leagues to say, we don't want to come up with the rule. We don't want to put something in the hands of the official to say, hey, you're not faking it. I'm not going to stop the clock or I'm going to penalize you. We don't want to do that. If the young man's injured, he's going to take him off. But to find a way to uh, softly but, but firmly uh, push the commissioners to say, this is not going to happen uh, on this level anymore. So 
Um, there are a lot of little things like that, but I think college football is in a good spot right now. Um, and and uh, I think we're going to keep continuing to look for those things that continue to help it be as safe as possible. Any thoughts on maybe changing how the clock is handled as far as the clock stopping after first downs uh, and, and maybe other instances where the clock stops? Because obviously you look at some of the snap totals that you see these days, especially with these go-go teams, you know, teams snapping the ball 90, 95, 100, 105 times during the course of a game. And you look at that and you kind of try to reconcile that with the player safety conversation. It's a little bit tough to do in some instances. Any, any, any thoughts, any inclinations towards perhaps working on, you know, maybe changing how the clock is handled in college football? We've had a lot of those conversations um, as a more traditional uh, offense. I do like when that clock stops on first downs. Um, there's been talk of maybe it doesn't stop for as long. Um, maybe it's just a quick, brief moment. Uh, maybe it doesn't stop at all. Uh, maybe, um, you know, going out of bounds, maybe it doesn't stop at all anymore outside of the last five minutes or last two minutes, something like that. All those things have come up and, um, you know, for me, I, I, I hate to change the game so drastically, trying to take plays out of the game, um, because now you're now you're now you're handcuffing coaches, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, inciting them to do things that are rational. Um, we have to continue to train our players the right way to handle difficult situations. We have to be able to rotate our players, um, so things like that. So we we've had a lot of those conversations, and nothing's set in stone just yet. How much of the XFL did, they get, did you get a chance to watch? And what were some of the things that you made of some, some approaches they took to some of the rules and some of the approaches they took uh, to, to player safety? I watched it every week. It was football in the winter and the spring. I was excited. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I thought the, the kickoff was really, really interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting um, in such a way that you limited the full speed contact um, of the guys blocking and being blocked. Um, I, I probably would have loved to see it maybe uh, moved up a little bit, um, you know, just so the runner had a little bit more room because they get a little, maybe a little more because I think kickoff return is one of the most exciting parts of the game. Uh, I mean, he had one return for a touchdown, um, but most of those, the guy caught the ball, there were a lot of people around him, so he didn't get that run up and that ability to, to maybe make some big plays. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, and I had a lot, we've had a lot of conversations about is this maybe the future for us? Um, which I think a lot was uh, the NFL and college football were all looking at that to say, you know, that's really interesting. Um, I like the ways the rules that we've, the rule changes that we've ins uh, instilled. Um, I think we're going to continue down that path, but knowing that if, if our path right now doesn't work, which it looks like it's doing well, um, then that's potentially an option for us down the road. Uh, I, it was fascinating to see that they're, they're overtime, um, which is what we ended up having a conversation a year ago to change our overtime after as after four overtimes or on the fifth overtime. Right. Now it just goes to basically two point plays and they're kind of starting there, you know, one play, one play, one play, which once again, reduces the number of plays, especially at the end of the game when guys are tired. Um, we all watched that LSU Texas A&M game. That was just, I mean, I don't know how many plays they ran and the guys were cramping and hot environments. So to look at a way to short down, shorten down the end of the game, not just the entire game, but just the end of the game, um, that was really interesting as well. And, of course, Sam Schwartzstein, former Stanford offensive lineman, director of football operations, had a huge hand um, in what the XFL was, uh, was able to do. It was really cool to be able to watch that. And, unfortunately, we won't get a chance to, uh, to see that for the foreseeable future, um, it appears. Um, NFL draft, the show goes on. Uh, it happens next week. 
not not in uh, not in Las Vegas uh, from the from the basement of uh, Roger Goodell's house in Westchester, it seems. Uh, Stanford, of course, was not able to have have its pro day, uh, unfortunately. Uh, one of my favorite days of the year. I know it's always great to catch up with you um, on, on that date as well. Um, Casey Tuhill, uh, Kobe Parkinson, those young men will likely have their names called. What do you make of of some of the guys uh, for Stanford who uh, who have a chance to, to to make an impact on the next level? Well, I think both guys went there and did well at the combine. Um, Casey, in particular, uh, I, I tried to tell the NFL scouts he's going to run faster than you think. He's going to jump higher than you think. He's a, he's a better athlete than you think until you really watch the film. And he didn't do as much on special teams just because he had to play so much defense. But here's one of those guys that is long. He's fast. He's athletic. Um, he's going to get he's going to get on the team and. He knows the deal. He's going to side up to that special teams coach and say, what do you want me to do? Because um, that's how he's going to make it. Um, we think he's got a chance to be on the 53 of the first year um, as he learns. And some people could, somebody might want to move him inside and play inside linebacker. I do think he's suited to be a 34 outside linebacker. Um, but I think he's got a chance to make it because he is such an outstanding special teams player. Um, as you know, Kobe Parkinson, yeah, he's just a mismatch. I'm six, seven plus, 250. Um, runs well, jumps well, makes difficult catches. We know seeing him go down the seam and make tough catches against Notre Dame, one-handed catches, uh, ridiculous catch he made last year against Oregon uh, to win the game in the overtime. Um, so just those teams that are looking for that type of a mismatch um, has a chance to be – he's got a chance to make a team and make an impact right away. And um, I'll even say this, we had a couple of guys that were – you know, we got a long snapper that's, that's going to try out for teams that's got a chance to be special. And Cameron Scarlett – Cameron Scarlett went down to the players, uh, the, the players Inc. or whatever that, that bowl game uh, down there in L.A. is and impressed a lot of people. He took every rep of special teams. Um, so he was a big physical running back, as we know that, especially when Bryce was the, the main guy, four-minute drill when, when, when 22 came in the game, he was a big physical runner. and Didn't get as much as he wanted, but when we had that, that game against Washington, he really showed a lot of people. So we think he's got a chance. If he doesn't have a chance to get drafted, then maybe be a priority free agent, has a chance to make a team. Anytime you see Chris McCaffrey do what he's done so far in the NFL, how much of you just wants to go, I, I tried to tell you, I tried to tell you guys how good this guy was. Uh, all my interviews last year about Chris McCaffrey, I started by saying, I told you so. <laughs> um, we got a lot of laughs, but I, and I'll never forget, Mike Mayock called me from the combine because I tried to tell him and he was trying to say, well, yeah, I know he's an undersized back. I said, he's not an undersized back. In his brain, he's bigger than anybody out there, and that's how he performs. Um, Mike Mayock called me from the combine to say, David, this might be the best combine performance I've ever seen because Christian took all the running back reps, he did all the tests, he did some of the receiver drills, and then he did all the punt return and kickoff returns. And after all that, more workout than anybody's ever done the combine, he said, what else do you guys got? And he wanted to keep going, and they were blown away of his conditioning and his mentality and his skill set. Um, and I think that's as much as any reason why he went in the top 10. Anybody who had a question at going into the combine, they all walked out of the combine saying, how do I get this guy? I got a call. I got calls from a couple of guys after that saying, do you think he'll fall outside of the top 10? I said, you have no chance. <laughs> and he has certainly proven and uh, done terrific things for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater uh, will now be taking snaps uh, in Charlotte as uh, he takes over for, for Cam Newton. Um, one of the really cool things um, that I've had a chance to observe in, in, in being around the program, following the program, um, is, is seeing Willie Shaw, your dad, uh, being on the sidelines during games, being on the practice field with you, 
and, and, and all those sorts of things. And, and, and in an alternate timeline, alternate universe, he has had coaching experience and has had coaching experience at Stanford. How cool is it to be able to still have him as a resource? And how much, how much do you still kind of lean on him to, to, to this very day? Yeah, my dad's done a great job of being my dad and not just being um, another coach out there. And what I mean by that is, you know, any coach come, would come in and say, hey, I would do this differently. I would do this differently just because we're all different people. Um, my dad's a defensive expert um, and he loves what Lance has done. And, you know, it's not all the same things that he would do, but he understands that he's here to be a resource and to be a help first and foremost to me, his son, but then also to the staff. So there are times where he'll just – He'll come by and say, hey, Lance, what are you guys doing? And Lance will say, hey, coach, what do you think about this? And, and they'll have an exchange. And um, every once in a while, he'll come by me. And after I'm standing still in practice, he'll say, hey, did you see, did you see this? You know, think about this. So he's, he's very subtle, um, and, and he wants to be a resource. If I have a question for him, if other guys have questions for him, he just wants to be a resource to our coaching staff. But he takes a lot of pride in what we do at Stanford, um, obviously because of me, but also because he coached at Stanford twice. And he loves the place, and he loves being associated with uh, the excellence that is Stanford University. All right, let's get you out of here on, on, on this. Um, besides the obvious health officials giving the okay, public or, or, or local and, and state governments giving the okay for people to gather, uh, what other benchmarks from your standpoint uh, need to be passed in order for football to retake the field? How long uh, strength or how long conditioning, all sorts of things, how long of a ramp up? Is it going to take and what sort of boxes is it going to check or are going to need to be checked in your mind in order for football to get back on the field? Well, first and foremost, we have to have a lot of assurances um, that we have to give the, the, the families of our young men that are coming back, um, that we have things in order for them to come back and gather together and be safe. Um, and beyond that, now it's, it's kind of putting a little bit of a bubble around them also. As long as this is going around, we got to kind of try to take care of our guys. Um, and then beyond that, now it's like, okay, how long does it take to ramp up? Because, you know, having a hundred plus guys in a team, everybody's in a different situation. Everybody's in, has different capabilities to work out, et cetera. Um, so now getting them on back, number one, we got to see what kind of shape the team is in. And then uh, that's what a lot of us talk about. What are the, what are the minimum weeks it's going to take to truly prepare a football team? Um, love to have 12 weeks. I don't know if that's a possibility because, Really, before you start training camp, I mean, you've got to get guys ready for training camp. Not just ready for the season. You've got to get them ready for training camp and then get training camp ready for the season. So that's going to take them a, a little bit of time. So I've heard a lot of people float around somewhere between six to eight weeks. Um, I think anything less than that now, you're not going to be able to truly have guys last the whole season. They're, they're not going to make it. It's, this is a violent, vicious sport um, that I like to say it takes – you have to pass three levels of common sense they're going to play the game. Uh, so we got to get the body ready to do that. And I don't know that you can do that in less than six weeks. Um, and, and that to me would be a bare minimum because I'd love to have more um, for shoulders and knees and, and, and muscles and conditioning. Um, uh, so it's, it, that's the big conversation right now. How long will it take? Yeah, and, and hopefully everything is back up to speed. Um, not just sooner rather than later, but hopefully it's done the right way so we don't have to go through this ever again can't wait to see how it all shakes out can't wait to see uh see y'all back on the practice field and uh, back in competition always appreciate the time uh best of luck best of health to you the staff your family and uh can't wait to talk talk with you again soon thanks much always appreciate the time all right take care 
Super appreciative, as always, of uh, being able to spend time with David Shaw and uh, get his thoughts during, during an unprecedented period of time where, you know, it, it changes how you work. It certainly changed how I work. My wife's working from home. She's upstairs right now getting some stuff done. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's changed everything. And there are still, still so many unknowns, big, large unknowns. Coaches don't like unknowns, man. <laughs> David Shaw told us about that. They, they do not like the unknown. But control what you can control. Make sure that the players, make sure that the staff is doing what, what it needs to be doing and doing what it can so that you know, when, it, when we all get the green light to, to, try, to, to try to ramp things back up, and again, I can't stress this, this enough. I mean, I'm not so much concerned about things ramping up sooner rather than later. I'm more concerned about things being ramped up in the safest way possible. If it takes later, not ideal, but you know what? I'm, I'm fine with that overall. But it's certainly a lot still uh, that, that David Shaw has to uh, negotiate um, and weave through as uh, he tries to steer the ship through an unprecedented, unprecedented, period of time. And, and I'm also glad that, that, that we, we could talk a little bit about, about his father, Willie Shaw. Uh, I, I think it's fairly common Stanford football knowledge that, uh, at least as it was told to me, that, that, that Willie Shaw was in line to be the head coach of Stanford after Denny Green uh, went off to the Minnesota Vikings after the 1991 season. And then, you know, Ted Leland, the uh, Stanford athletic director at the time, you know, was talking with Bill Walsh, Walsh obviously with, with major ties to Stanford as the head coach back in the late 70s before uh, turning, uh, turning down to the, uh, heading down to the San Francisco 49ers and, and doing a few things down there. But uh, Leland was talking to Walsh, and Walsh on an offhand remark said, hey, don't forget about me. And Leland said, you serious? And Bill Walsh said, yeah. And, well, things kind of went from there. But I, I think it's fairly common Stanford fan knowledge that if it had not been Bill Walsh, returning to Stanford football in 1992, it would have been Willie Shaw's show to run. And I'm glad we could talk about that a little bit um, with David. And I'm sure, I don't know for certain, um, but I'd imagine that maybe that fuels him a little bit to, to, to have, to, to be as successful as, as he has. I'm not sure. I don't know. But it is still pretty cool to talk to, you know, or, or to see um, Willie Shaw still as involved with this program um, as he is, as a resource, as a sounding board, uh, certainly with the defensive coaches. And I actually talked to Willie um, after, the, um, after the Iowa Rose Bowl and uh, the, the, the pride uh, that, that, that I sensed when he was talking about how his, uh, how his son was faring in, in a role that, that he probably could have or maybe even should have had. And I'll also never forget after the Wisconsin Rose Bowl, after the 2012 season, um, you know, David Shaw was, was, it was after the game, it was outside the Stanford locker room and, 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 and David Shaw's talking to the media and I look over off in the distance and Willie Shaw's further down the tunnel and he's looking onto the scene and the smile on his face was unbelievable. Really cool moment. Really cool moment. So glad we could talk about that and, and a few other things. I mean, look, it's, I'm, I can't really ask who QB2 is necessarily. I don't know. What does it matter? I mean, we're, we have no idea when the season's going to kick off. There are going to be plenty of times and plenty of opportunities um, to, to ask those kinds of questions about where things stick out and where things are shaken out on the depth chart um, later on. 
but uh, good to kind of uh, you know, get his initial knee-jerk things on on what Stanford was able to accomplish uh, this spring. And obviously, not much from a drill standpoint, um, but uh, to get his thoughts on what they were able to accomplish this spring and um, what uh, could uh, be to come for the Cardinal whenever Stanford takes the field next time. Our thanks again to David Shaw for spending some time with us. You've got thoughts. You've got reactions to our chat. I certainly welcome them the best way. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. I always appreciate um, your thoughts, your feedback, your input. You can follow me on Twitter, as mentioned, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. And we will come at you next week. Big time, major, major thanks again uh, to David Shaw for joining us. Always appreciate his time. Always appreciate his knowledge. Thanks most of all going out to you for checking us out on the show. Don't drink and drive if you do. You're the dumbest person on the planet. But above all, stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay home. We'll check you out next time. On the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.